Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me back by popular demand, oh, please. It's Jeff Merrick. Jeff, what's going on? Aren't you sick of me yet? I mean, I'm sick of me, but I always have to be around me. Aren't you sick of me? I just on like two seconds ago talking about the Memorial Cup. No, you're you're uh, you're a hit on the show. You, you you definitely drive the most traffic in terms of uh, me finding like kind of uh, quotes of stuff we've said on this podcast on random message boards and and people discussing things we we chatted about on here. I, I didn't even know people were listening. I thought we were just kind of you're... having a private conversation. You're confusing me with MJ. Do you think you called Mike? This is Jeff, by the way, Dimitri. Have you been, drink- oh, have you been drinking oh, again? You've been oh. drinking again, Dimitri. Oh, I, okay, I guess we're already here. We may as well keep going. All right, what the hell? Eh? Yeah. All right. You know, by the way, by the way, I, I do want to point out um, your pre-show preamble. I don't know if you do this to all of your guests on the podcast, mm. but your, your pre-show preamble to me may be the finest. Um, we'll talk about combine, but really, you know what? Let's just bounce around and talk about stuff. Okay, ready to go? Three, two, one. Well, you know, you know, I actually. Um, I provide a lot more structure to the other guests, but I know that I can always count on you to you uh, really? p- pick up the slack and really just kind of drive the conversation. So I, I'm always curious about the nature of structure of podcasts mm. because, you know, with MBSW, once upon a time when we first started it, we, we talked to each other for like 20 minutes every morning, want to do this. And want, right now, it's like Greg and I barely call each other. You know, we barely speak. We'll exchange you're texts. You're an old married code. couple. You just come, come into bed and, and turn That's around it. and don't even face each other. Yeah. yeah. Because barely stare at each other over newspapers and coffee in the morning. Yep. And, you know, in radio, in traditional traditional media, I mean, it's very structured. we got to get to this topic, and this is what your producer wants, and he puts a story in front of you, and you got to hit break here for traffic, you got to hit the break for the news update and the sports, and it's very structured. But I think every podcast is a little bit different. Do you find, here I go hosting again, mm. do you find that depending on the guests that you have here, some you can just sort of, hey, man, we're going to this one with short, shorts and flops and hanging out, bro. And others, you have to really focus on, okay, here's what we're going to talk about. This is the parameters, and we're going to stay within this little box. I think you just sort of have to you just play it by ear and, and know the, the person you're having on. Because there's, there's, there's certain people that I've never uh, chatted with before, really, other than maybe uh, like you know over Twitter DMs or something like that. And you, and you get them on here, and you don't really have yeah. any sort of rapport. So you want to avoid those... Uh, sequences where you like ask them a question and they 
talk for a few minutes and then they just kind of abruptly stop talking and you don't really know where you're going next and that, that never makes for uh good listening material so at least at least you know try to have like some sort of a little kind of outline or list of stuff just in case like you know like break yeah. in case of emergency just in case we need to uh move on to something new you know who the best because it's true once you work with a person for long enough like i'm sure you found this when you work you know with, with travis for as long as you did you can find out when a person is winding down their sentence yes. so you know when to pick up kind of yeah. like miller and fox do with the la kings games like you can always like jim fox gives you like this really obvious verbal cue that he's about to stop mm-hmm. he has this like little trail up right at the end he'll pause and then his last thought will be really fast and he'll end it with a trail up and miller slides right in yeah it's like one of the most distinct sort of i'm about to stop here moments and I guess you just get that from working with people for a long time, but it is true. Once you work with someone for the, when you work with someone for the first time, I find the hardest thing is how to take verbal cues from them to know when they're going to stop talking. Mm. Yeah, like guess. there, yeah. I'm like, I'm like there, <laughs> exactly, just like that. Um, all right, let's uh, let's let's start with the combine because uh, you were you were covering it for Sportsnet, and and I know you have some some thoughts on it, and, and people love story time with Uncle Jeff, and I feel like the combine oh, is yes. a good story. Oh yes. You want the Theo Peckham story, don't you? I, I do. Yes, I. I for those that ha- didn't catch it on the on the broadcast, I feel like you should uh, share it here. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. Let me just do a quick little search here. I want to say, uh, hang on, Theo. Uh, 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 what are you looking for a uh, where where he was drafted. Uh, he went in like the third round. It was third round. Yeah. Okay, because okay, so Theo Peckham was a defenseman from Richmond Hill. Still is, I suspect. Mm. Um, still from Richmond Hill, but no longer in the NHL. Uh, played with the Owen Sound attack, and in his draft year, this would have been two oh, hang on, it's come two oh six, so two oh six combine. So Peckham's a big guy. Like at that point, I think he's like six two, two hundred and twenty pounds or something like that. And he gets on the bike, and he wasn't scheduled. I mean, he was supposed to be like a late pick in that year's draft, if my memory serves me correct. Mm-hmm. And hops on the bike, and the bike is the one exercise that all the guys fear. We've all seen it, you know, the VO2 max when you're on the bike. It's just, it's death. It's torture. Um, the guys hate it. You're scared of it. There are people screaming at you to continue to do it. You start burning, and inevitably, a lot of the kids will vomit, either when they're done or even before they're finished. Right. So Peckham gets on there. Big dude. And starts working it, works it really hard, and he's really pounding it. It's his drafter, man. you got to show good to the scouts. And he gets off and right away, right to the garbage can and loses it. Just like massive barf, okay? Mm-hmm. All the scouts, all of a sudden, the, stein, the spines go straight. And they get out their notebooks. Oh, yeah, Theo Peckham Owens sound hard work. Like, right away, it, it reinforced to them how hard this guy works and how much of a you know, tireless, even to the point of physical exhaustion and to the point of making himself sick. And he ended up going in the third round. Yeah. Like he ended up bumping up his draft stock significantly. And then the next year at the combine, <laughs> um, a lot of the agents that I talked to, the name Theo Peckham kept coming up because they kept saying, like, we told all of our clients, do what Theo did, no matter what happened on that bike. Even if you don't have to throw up, run to the garbage and try to make yourself vomit to demonstrate to everybody there, to all the scouts, to all the teams that you work that hard you know, to the point where you'll compromise, you'll compromise your own health yeah. uh, and you'll work so hard to your bar. So uh, there is a, there was this year, a big curtain right beside the bikes. Okay. 
and it's closed off so no one can see and yes that's the area where now the kids go barf after they're done on the bikes so no one has to actually watch them do it in front of everybody there is a very private and i would i would like personally i would like to name that you know the The the, field zone yeah the the peckham zone that would be fantastic If, if they had like if they had like a banner or something and is it in honor of Theo Peckham, this is the reason why we have this because now every kid feels as if they're obliged to barf to demonstrate to all these scouts, you know, no correlation to hockey um, to demonstrate to all these scouts that they will work so hard that they'll make themselves vomit something. Please, please uh, NHL do something with Theo Peckham in the curtain off area now. Yes. Well, I don't know. The, 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 how do you feel about the combine in general, just as a, as a thing well, that exists? A, it's inspired very much so by the NFL combine. Mm-hmm. We all get that. We all understand that. Yeah. The, um, the NFL combine, like there are very specific things. Look at the 40, for example. There are very specific things you do at the NFL combine that directly translate to your sports. Yes. Okay? Especially so, if you're like a wide receiver or something. Right? Totally. Like, yeah. Totally. So if you were like... Uh, a new, you know, scout or GM or something like that in the in the NFL, and you didn't know any of the prospects. Okay, let's say you like wiped your brain clean, okay, of all the prospects, who they were, their backstory, all of it, mm-hmm. and came to the combine, took that information away, and had to make a selection. You could still reasonably, I would imagine make some reasonably decent selections based on some of the evidence you saw at the combine. Because what happens in there directly translates to what happens while you're playing football. Mm -hmm. Hockey's not the same way. You know, we had, you know, countless players. I mean, we had Matt Nickel with a strength and conditioning coach, founder of BioSteel. I mean, we all know he works, he works with, um, you know, elite level client. He works with Tyler Sagan. He works with Mike Camilleri. Like he works with high end guys Mm -hmm. at his, at his his gym in downtown Toronto. And, um, you know, he said we asked him about some of the some of the, the specific exercises the players were doing, um, and he said, "Yeah, right away. You know, we don't do this in the gym. We don't do that in the gym. And you know, the one obvious one is bench press. And we had Ole Olevion, um, who none of the London Knights guys uh, did the combine at all. It's another category of discussion potentially on this podcast. Mm. Interesting. Um, but you know, Ole Olevi said, "Yeah, you know, I, I never do bench press. It doesn't translate." at all to hockey right and you know even at the gym that, that i work at which is all hockey kids like it's it's kids that play in the ojhl the ohl the ahl some nhl guys in there as well like there's no you know, they don't do bench press you know they don't do curls like they, they don't do things like that they do things that are much more sports specific right so there are some areas of the combine as well that you look at and you say okay well, why are they doing bench press why are you putting a couple of plates on there like what do you what type of information are you going to glean but then matt nickel told me something interesting that i'd never considered before he said when he was with the maple leafs um, what he would use it for as a strength and conditioning coach, because he would go and watch all the kids and see how their body moves and check out their results. He said the best information he could glean from the combine is where an athlete is predisposed to have an injury. Mm-hmm. And you can tell by the way they work out on, 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 very, on, on some of the various areas. Like you can tell if, okay, this ankle is a little bit compromised, this knee is a little bit compromised, his shoulder is going to give him a hard time somewhere down the road. So I think as far as information gathering, one, you know, it's a chance for all the teams to meet the players, and two, more so than anything else, is probably a place to have a look at where an athlete may be predisposed to have an injury. But you know what the biggest one is, Dimitri, to be totally honest with you about what the combine is? And this is no disrespect to all the, uh, all the people and trainers that run the combine and Danny Marr for putting it together. No disrespect to them at all. But 
the way I look at the combine, it's marketing for the draft. Mm, yeah. Meet the prospects. Here they are in a different environment. This is what Austin Matthews looks like, not you know, without a visor in front of his face. This is what Line A looks like. This is what Poliarvi looks like. This is what Kachuk looks like. This is what Clayton Keller looks like. This is what you know, Mikhail Sergachev looks like. Jake Bean, take your pick. Yeah. Um, to me, it's more than anything else. It's marketing for the draft. So we're a couple of weeks out, and all of a sudden we're getting to talk to the prospects. So it's not just Coach's Corner that presents you know to five of the five of the more you know high end guys in the first intermission of Game Three. Yeah. Well, I, I think all of that, you know, I'm perfectly cool with all that. It obviously where I take issue with it is when you start putting too much stock into the results and then you get the, like, oh. how ridiculous does, does all the Sam Bennett pull up stuff look now when he's scoring nearly 20 goals as a teenager at the NHL level and he's in a low, he looks like he's going to be a star. Like, it just like, I can't believe that people were actually, that was a, a legitimate talking point. Uh, it was a talking point. And, but the, the biggest part of that talking point was, is that he had a shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. You were trying to do a pull up with a shoulder injury. I assure it you, it's it's, yeah. it's very it's not it's not very comfortable. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, man, you look at Gary Roberts, you know, who, who couldn't even do a chin up when he was when he was drafted. And now, you know, Gary Roberts is one of the beasts of the business. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm with you. I don't put a a ton of stock into the results. Um, like you know, last year Jack Eichel blew Connor McDavid away. Yeah, you know what that affected? Nothing. Right. Connor McDavid was going number one. Yeah. And even even if someone has a poor showing at the combine, like first first of all, maybe for your bottom end guys, it may mean something. You may be able to glean something as far as you know work ethic and how they take care of themselves, etc. Right. Um, but for a high end guy, what can you possibly gain? Like if you're Austin Matthews, Patrick Line, like what can you gain by going to this thing? I would argue nothing. Yeah, nothing can be gained. And you know what? A lot of it too is. You know, a lot of the CHL kids, you know, play longer seasons. Um, and I was focused on NCAA and CHL. The CHL guys have a longer season. Uh, the U.S. players spend more time in the gym. So they're already more predisposed to having great results at the combine, more so than the junior kids. I mean, you look at the London Knights. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of eyebrows raised that nobody took took part in any of the events. You know, Levy didn't. Cliff Poo, your boy, didn't. Max mm-hmm. Jones. Like all the Matthew Kajak, they Tyler Parsons. You know, they had just finished playing hockey, winning the Memorial Cup. And they shut them down. And they were there for interviews and they're there for marketing, but they didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, if, if you're a high end guy, is there any point to doing this? Like, is, is there really anything to gain other than it's another opportunity to market yourself, right? To put yourself out there. You know, I would argue, no. Well, I mean, I don't know. Has anyone else, has anyone put themselves out there as, as much as uh, Patrick Line has the past few weeks? It's been glorious, hasn't yeah. it? No, I mean, part of part, part of it too is because everyone's chasing him now, right? You know, like everybody wants, everyone's waiting for the next great Patrick Line quote, mm-hmm. and and you try to figure out, okay, so he's going to Winnipeg. Is he going to be Tamu Solani, the much beloved guy? Teammates love him, or is he going to be the next tracksuit in the shower? Mm-hmm. We don't know, you know, right. because he's he's had he's had that, but he's had he's had feuds with players on his team. He's feuded with coaches, like. The the pass for Patrick Line, like individually, fantastic. As far as team concept, there have been some issues before. He's up front and, and center about, you know, what happened last year at the Ivan Holinka, for example, where he kicked off the team. Like he's had run ins with players and coaches before. Right. Very public in Finland. But and I saw you tweet about this, you just hope that the game doesn't pound that oh, yeah. personality out of him. Because it, as we've all seen, it does have a way of pounding itself out of a player. Well, I just, hope, I just, I just hope he doesn't end up as tracksuit shower guy. I, I think uh, 
it most likely will. It, 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 the NHL is just it's uh it's an unforgiving machine at this point, and it just like it takes control of all these guys. But then they, sh- they dare show any sort of personality, and just like and just automatically someone's gonna get you know offended by something they say or something they do, and it's gonna it's gonna get spun out of control. And I don't know the the thing that I take issue with is uh like okay, so he's had he's butt heads with people like yeah. on, on a team level right like and then we just saw this with with jared mccann when he he got shipped out of vancouver and all, all of a sudden this smear campaign came out about how he was difficult to deal with and you know yeah. he was a bit cocky and all this stuff and it's like uh, what what 18 19 year olds do you guys know that are like fully formed mature adults like i i remember myself when i was 18 19 years old like i was yeah. i was unbearable and I, I think that's that's it's it's a it's a natural thing for people to kind of be like acting out that way and 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 not really necessarily know how to handle themselves very professionally like it, that's something you learn as you go along so i always it, it, it's kind of head scratching to me and we, we just saw with jonathan drewan where it was like oh you can't you can't you can't play with this guy like he he's he's too much of a me first guy and then all of a sudden uh it, it worked quite well for them in the playoffs i think a lot of nhl teams have a hard time dealing with young athletes yeah i really do i, I think it, and you don't want to call it babysitting but for lack of a better term i will they have a hard time babysitting they have, I mean, you're not getting a fully formed human being at that point. You're not getting a man. You're drafting someone at 17 years of age and you're expecting them to be a 10 year professional in their first season. They're not that right. And it, 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 it can cost you if you can't, if you don't manage it well. I mean, ask any sane Boston Bruins fan whether they want the Tyler Sagan deal back. Right. Of course they do. Yeah. And, and what happened there? Oh, he showed up one day in the same suit he was wearing the night before. Where did he go? Like, Guys, you're dealing with young people. Yes. Like you need to have a strategy or an understanding of how to work with them. They're not all going to show up and be perfect Jonathan Taveses and Sidney Crosby's. They're not. They all come from different places. They all have different backgrounds. They all have different personalities. They'll have different beliefs. They all have different strengths and they all have different weaknesses. There's not one cookie cutter way to deal with them, much like there's not one cookie cutter way to deal with veterans. Like dealing with a veteran who's going through a divorce, it's a lot different than dealing with a veteran who's, you know, just had his his third child and his marriage is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right? There are different ways. It's the NHL is much more accommodating dealing with that older player than it is with the younger players. Right. And that's where you start to see, in the Boston example, you really start to see mistakes. I'm, I'm with you with that. I think the NHL is and they've always had a hard time with that. You know, oh, the separate kid, oh, we're going to, oh, the protruding nail gets hammered down, the old Japanese proverb. It's been like that forever. Right. You know, know your place, kid. You know, you go pick up the pucks. Hey, you wait in the back of the bus while we check into the hotel first. Like, all the protocols and all that. I mean, who are the, listen, man, even when it comes to the CBA and lockouts, who's the first group that gets thrown out of the bus? Hmm. The kids that aren't in the NHL yet. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, they're triple salary capped as it is. They're the first ones. Yep. To get scalped. And I, I think a lot of it, too, is they, they just, teams just have a hard time dealing with young athletes. The interesting thing about that is, too, the people that have the thinnest skin, I find, aren't the kids. It's the older guys. Right. Yeah. That, that have the thin skin about, oh, I got to fend- said the stuff. wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, even just like, you know, Patrick Line says something, you know, controversial. The kids will be fine with it on every other team. They'll kind of think it's funny. Yeah. You know, they'll text about it. They'll DM about it. And they'll think, hey, man, you see what Line A said? Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Because right. they don't care yeah. in, that, in, in that sense. But it's, it's, it's the older set that want to turn every comment and every wrong move into a metaphor for something greater and an audit on someone's character and personality. And here comes the big one, Dimitri. 
say with me, oh, I don't know, we have to do something about him. He's becoming a distraction. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's oh, like, man. you just need to remember that uh, you can't, you can sort of learn this stuff as you go along and, and, and settle down a little bit and, and become more tame, but you can't really... Uh, learn how to score goals and, and be more talented like that's uh so you, you should definitely think wisely about which one you want to pick and then help work on the other one right it's like when 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 teams pick these character guys as opposed to the more talented guys and then and then they're wondering why they're having trouble scoring goals and winning games it's i i, I it's uh it's it just all of it's really kind it's, of funny to me well and, and the thing is too and this has been said countless times it's only a problem when you lose yes yeah. When you're winning, everything's everything's fine. And, oh, he's quirky. Oh, he's got a unique personality. Right. If you're losing, he's a distraction. He needs to be more focused. Uh, you know, he does, you know, he's a, a, a renegade who doesn't have the same same type of emotions and motivations as everybody else. All of it gets amplified when you lose. When you win, you can put up with it. Yeah, I mean. But then when you lose, then that, that that personality trait becomes a scapegoat. Yeah, when you're, when you're winning, he, he, uh, he helps, he helps, helps uh, keep the room loose. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> now, yeah. mind you, there are some real assholes. Of course, of course. Like there, yes. there are plenty that come through that you're just like, oh man, we can't get this guy out of the room fast right. enough. Of course, there's a human element to it and you have to deal ooh. with these people on a daily basis, of course. Like, I think everyone has shared, the same, has shared the experience of not looking forward to coming to work because of one person. Yeah. Because that person completely poisons it for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Hockey is no different. I just find that there's almost an, an unreal and at times unattainable expectation for a lot of kids who, I mean, let's let's face it, by the time they get to the NHL, I mean, when they get to the NHL, it's the first time they've ever heard no mm-hmm. in, their profe- in their professional lives. Right. No, you didn't make this team. What do you mean I didn't make this team? I've made every single, no. What do you mean I'm not playing first line? I've made first line my, my entire life. You know, there needs to be mechanisms to, to deal with those kids in those situations because mm-hmm. not everyone's coming as a perfectly, you know, mature, you know, well-formed little Buddha that can Tai Chi everything. Go, OK, this is cool. All things will pass. This will be fine. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, Jeff, what are you uh, what are you what are you what are you, do, what are you doing these days now that the combine's done and the Mem Cup's done? Are you are you preparing yourself for the draft or what? Just doing? prep. Yeah, just draft prep right now. That's all I'm doing mm-hmm. is uh, is finding trying to find as many stories for as many players as I can um, and trying to go as as deep as I can and putting together. I got some writing to do for Sportsnet.ca, some mock draft stuff, some some player profiles. So it is all about the draft because essentially after the Memorial Cup, I'm I'm kind of done. Right. For the season, like I'm, I've wrapped up uh, outside of the drafts. I'm just spending all my time doing uh, doing draft stuff. Mm. Okay, so from your discussions with with people around the game and and all that stuff, do you think that obviously are the way we um, sort of think about this stuff has changed over the past handful of years in terms of drafting smaller players and and taking risks on guys playing overseas, especially if they're in, in the KHL, just because there is that risk factor that they might not come over. Uh, do you think that? teams in 2016 are are much more likely to you know take take the chance on 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 those types of players in either of those camps or do you think we still have a, a bit of a ways to go here i still think if there's two players of the same quality they'll defer to the big player than the small player but it, it, it really is changing you know like you look at like clayton keller is going to go really high and he should i mean he's got like he's got mitch marner type creativity that that this, this guy is 
phenomenal. Does he end up in Division One? Does he end up in Windsor? We don't know. Um, but some team is going to do really well taking someone like Clayton Keller. And there were one, there was once upon a time where, eh, I don't know, look at the size. Maybe we'll take a flyer on him, best case scenario, in the second round. Mm-hmm. You know, he may be a top 10 pick. Yeah. Depending on what team likes him, uh, and 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 you know, depending on who's gone before. Now, mind you, there's still going to be a lot of deference to someone like Logan Brown, who's a six foot six centerman, right? And you know, he's he's coveted by a lot of those teams. I know that the Columbus Blue Jackets at, at number three really covet Logan Brown. Uh, really covet Pierre Luc Dubois. Question there whether he's a winger or a centerman, and that's an interesting point of discussion as well. Um, but you know, the, 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 there's still more so than ever right now. I don't think that size is the barrier to entry if you've demonstrated you can play at that elite level. I think it was so much on the line, Dimitri. To be honest with you, with with you know, with, with the difference between winning and losing being so slight, if you think, and there is history on the side now, Marty St. Louis and Johnny Gaudreau, and go right down the list, Tyler Johnson. With history being on the side of the small guy now more so than ever, mm-hmm. uh, I think that the teams are quite open to drafting uh, small guys more so up front than they are on the blue line. Although that's changing, Samuel Gerrard's going to be a nice pick for someone. The only place where size, the size discussion happens, is in nets. Right, yeah. like that—that's the only one. Like once upon a time, I don't know if we talked about this last time. Once upon a time, if I told you there's, like if, I, if I put two kids against the wall. And one of them was 5'10", and one of them was 6'5", and said, Dimitri, what position, either defense or goalie, should each of these kids play? You'd probably 10 years ago say, well, the 6'5 guy's got to play defense, and the 5'10 guy's got to be your goalie. Mm-hmm. It's totally flipped now. Yep. It's completely flipped, where the barrier to entry in net now is, what do you figure, 6'2"? Yeah, sounds about right. It's definitely trending upwards. Right. And, but as far as, you know, uh, uh, as far as defensemen go, I mean, I think Joe Hicketts is going to play with the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. How big is Joe Hicketts? Yeah. He's a pretty small, pretty small guy. Right. Yeah. But I mean, if you can, if you can, if you can think the game, if you can move your feet, if you can move the puck, then there's room for you as a defenseman, regardless of how big or, or in this case, how small you are. Yeah. Well, and, and also think about it logically this way, like on the free agent market, what, what gets the big bucks? It's the guys that, that score goals and get a lot of points, right? And, and if you can get some of that offense for cheap on these entry-level deals, it, it seems like a no-brainer that that's, you'd be targeting that high upside and then filling out your roster later in the draft or, or via trade or free agency where you can get it cheaper. Like it's like, it's a, it's a no-brainer. It's so kind of surprising that it's taken this long to come around to that idea. Um, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but things move pretty slow yes, in the NHL. Yes. It's, it's, not, it's not a very pro- progressive uh, organization. You know, there's a <laughs> generation of general manager that had, and team president have to work their way out of the industry mm. um, uh, for, for new thinking to evolve. So, yeah, it's uh, and there, there there has been, as we've seen over the past what five or six years, you know, the the shrinking of the age of the general manager. Like mm. once upon a time, it's like a GM at forty. I don't think so. You know that's the domain of the fifty-year-olds and the sixty-year-olds, and and now that's that's shrinking with your your Steve Eisenmans and your and your Shiro's and and general John Chaika. Geez, kind of loud. He's twenty-six uh, years old, but that that age is coming down, and with that comes more forward vision. But it just takes a while for that old-school thought to work its way out of the system. Well, and and I was talking about this on on I think the most recent podcast when I had Bill West on, we were discussing the Penguins, and obviously Mike Sullivan's been around the block, but I, I do think that this this 
sort of movement of teams bringing in the the coach they have at the AHL level that's worked with a bunch of their younger guys and their prospects to kind of keep that keep that uh, circle going and keep, and keep the continuity. Like I, I I I'm very intrigued by that as opposed to sort of the uh, the old guard recycling of, of people that have been around the block and and you know exactly what you're going to get with them. Uh, the Bruce Bourgeois effect once upon a time, mm-hmm. right? When yep. when Bruce came in in what was it 2007? Yeah. You know, that, that became a thing. All of a sudden, Boudreaux works, and now everyone scrambles. And as successful as Bruce Boudreaux was, you know, Atlanta tried to do the same thing with John Anderson, who was you know, a very successful American Hockey League coach, led Chicago every single year. Uh, they were competitive, would win Calder Cup championships. Um, you know, where Bruce succeeded, John had a harder time. So I don't think it's necessarily, hey, it's, it's, it's the, it is always the smartest play. Mm. But to your point, you know all the guys in the system. Um, well, I shouldn't say all, you know, most of the guys in the system, right. you already have that, that relationship with, you know, you look at Sullivan, for example, and have a look at, uh, you know, have a look at the, uh, uh, the success of some of the, the secondary players on the Pittsburgh Penguins right now, not unlike John Cooper, mm-hmm. right? Between Syracuse and Tampa was the exact same story. All those guys that played with him on that Bafo Syracuse team, all of a sudden bonafide NHLers and are now getting paid some serious money. Yep. I think a lot of it was because they brought up the American Hockey League coach and the American Hockey League coach was comfortable as American Hockey League players and it worked out well for everybody involved. Yep. Yeah, and there's uh, and there's a lot of those guys kind of around the league now. You look around, like I think uh, I'm a big fan of John Hines, for example, and there's Bill yep. Peters and, and you go on and on down the list and, and I, I think that let's say five years from now, I think like a, a majority of the coaches are probably going to be guys that at, at some point, whether it's with that organization or, or some other one around the league were kind of got their, got their start that way. You know, one of the ones to follow to, if you're interested in following the, the, the career path of, of coaches, Chris Knobloch, of course, in Erie with the Otters, that's a well-told one. But uh, for me, one of the more forward thinking coaches in the game right now he's locked up and can't move anywhere for at least another year is rocky thompson of the windsor spitfires mm. now when i see rocky thompson a lot of people think oh he's that wild crazy guy with the big hair and <laughs> 500 penalty minutes a season and you know throwing coconuts at, at guys off the band like the crazy guy we saw in the nhl yeah. rocky thompson dimitri is one of the most progressive forward thinking people who thinks the game in a way that i think people like you and other like-minded people would love he gave a presentation last year in florida at the draft speaking of the draft gave a presentation they do a coaches clinic every year at the draft right mm-hmm. and a lot of times a lot of the guys in the back like you know the coaches would just be like la di da di da you know barely break out your notebook just have a cup of coffee maybe catch a nap okay what do i gotta do today I gotta get to the gym I gotta do my grocery list we gotta make dinner reservations but the minute rocky started talking a lot about his presentation was how the game is played now the nature of where lanes are open for zone exits um, how you stretch D out on power plays to set up bump passes for shots. Um, it, it was like right away, everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Not that it's revolutionary stuff, but it's just a, a, a subtle different way to look at the game. Mm. And if you didn't know who it was talking, you'd say to yourself, you know, who's this new forward thinking guy who's come out of nowhere? Mm to present this type of information and then you know you look up you know you look up from your notebook and it's one of the toughest you know guys of the last 20 years in the nhl rocky thompson Mm. who's this nerd who's this nerd (laughs) yeah well that's it right it's funny too because rock looks like a nerd now too he's all lean and skinny (laughs) and glasses and i bug him i know i've known rock for a while and i always bug him about he's like yeah i look a lot different now Mm. he had the really short hair and the glasses and he, he but he does like he looks like 
your classic school nerd. Hmm. And he was one of the toughest guys in his era, playing in the Western League in the NHL as well. Yeah. But if you're, if you're looking for like that next wave of, of forward-thinking intellectual coaches, it's a former tough guy in the NHL, Rocky Thompson. It's fascinating. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely keep an eye on that. Um, all right, let's uh, – I don't know. Is there anything else we, we wanted to touch on while we're here? It's not like a final. You're, you're, you following that at all or no? Uh, yeah, I have a glance at it. A little it. bit, you know, <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's upsetting to me that I thought I thought we were going to have a um, a good seven-game roaster here. You mm. know, I thought this was going to be really good seven games. Let's draw this one out. It's going to be back and forth. And I know the games have been close, but this is an interesting series in that the games have been close. But does it feel like they've been close? Mm, it, yeah, it's it, it's weird. There's been obviously but the, the two overtime games and and pretty much every one of them has been decided by one goal. Uh, and and it's it, 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 you're right, it hasn't. It, it's felt very one sided in the sense that it's never felt like Pittsburgh's really ever been in serious trouble. Like even even when it's been tied, it's, yeah. it's like they they just seem like it's it's they're they're just due for a goal at, at pretty much at all times. Ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Mm. But I want to play this game with you. Yeah. Would it be different? If it was, I know they had their adversity and who knows how they would have ended up, but how would we be talking right now if this were a Pittsburgh Chicago final? Um, how much, how much different is it? Because it's, it is pretty obvious right. that San Jose can't make the adjustments for the speed of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right. They, which, is, they which, just is, which is a bit startling because uh, a lot of the other Western Conference teams really struggled with the speed of, of, of the Sharks, right? Like the, 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 yeah. when, when the Sharks were playing the Kings, the Kings just like, didn't didn't really know how to handle it at all and and it, it now the it's been flipped on them and i guess it's just a testament to what what a different animal the penguins are just in general yeah it's almost as if the, the pittsburgh penguins don't do things fast they do things suddenly mm. like that's kind of that's kind of how it looks to me like suddenly boom uh, change of possession and they're off the races right it's not that they're like okay galloping and picking up speed it's just like everything that happens with Pittsburgh is sudden and deliberate and that's the that's the one thing that really stands out to me is how deliberate everything looks with the Pittsburgh Penguins it might not always work but you can tell that every pass is deliberate every shot is deliberate every decision is a deliberate decision as opposed to San Jose who are still i don't know caught in this idea that i'm not sure that i'm doing the right thing right now and that gets compounded when you can't win a game you can't get ahead you're starting to lose this team is really fast am i making the right decision like sports is i mean anything is always the best whether it's you know hockey whether it's running whether like when 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 something seems to be working through you as opposed to you working through it it's a beautiful thing right. because it's effortless you know boxers always talked about this you know hit you know punching someone and not feeling it at all guys in hockey will talk about the perfect body check you don't feel a thing you feel like you go through the person right and that's kind of that's kind of that groove that pittsburgh is on right now the opposite of that where you feel everything are the san jose sharks you know like you only you only notice clothes when they're too tight, and you know you you only you only notice uh, 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 your your belt when it's on too tight, and that's kind of how I, I feel about the San Jose Sharks and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right now, they can't tell you what they're wearing because it feels so perfect. But the San Jose Sharks, everything seems snug to them. Yep. that's kind of how I feel when I watch the game. 
Well, and I also think it's like <clears throat> just watching the Sharks. It's one of those things where they've been so used to dictating the pace and uh, kind of just it being played on their terms that now when they have the puck, you're right. It, it seems like they're overthinking it. And I wonder if it, a little bit has to do with the fact that they're just like every time they're thinking like, okay, if we don't make the perfect play here, the Penguins are going to get the puck back and all of a sudden we're going to be scrambling around all over the place and we're going to have to do all, all that again. And then they're just like kind of getting in their own heads and it's obviously not working out the way they uh, they were playing and against St. Louis, for example, where they looked like they couldn't do anything wrong. It's funny too because we and, and I, I I try not to do this as much as possible, and I try to keep things you know as, to as quantifiable a, a measurement as possible. But there is something really to be said for confidence, mm. and you can't explain it. You know, and I mean, I work a lot with Colby Armstrong. We had the Memorial Cup for two weeks, and he kept talking about the one thing that he kept coming back to. Um, because he's, you know, still tight with Crosby and, you know, used to play with him, was his wingman, like all of that stuff. And he said, listen, when he's confident, there's no one better at his game. Like, oh, come on. It's like this wishy-washy. Stuff. He goes, no, like as an athlete, it's, it's the most important thing. And that, lead, uh, that leads to what you're talking about, too. It seems as if, you know, San Jose continues to hesitate on things because they're afraid of what will happen if they mess up. And when that becomes part of your reality, it's death. Right. This death, yeah. like you, 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 when you when when you don't have the confidence to make the play that you want to make because of the fear of what might happen, that's when it's over. Yeah, yeah. Really <laughs> the the past few games I've been watching them and, and the ice service has been so bad, and <clears throat> I've just been thinking about how uh, this entire discussion about the the bad ice service is just so up your alley. I feel like oh. I feel like you have a lot of thoughts on this. Um. Yeah, I got a few. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm still. Oh, I'm still startled that we're at a place where. Well, well. Okay. Let me back up. First of all, the the bad ice is a product of one. Get your game out of June, NHL. Yes. No matter what, I say this every single year. If I could, if I could have the commissioner's ear and only make one recommendation every year, it'd be the same thing. Get the game out of June. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. They're married to 82 games. They're not going to go earlier, and the guys need the rest. It ain't. It, it's not going anywhere right now. I get. They're not going. Not going to you know, compact the season because injuries become more of a factor. I get that. Um, but get your game out of June. Two. This is the fight between the president and the general manager, where the general manager wants the um, building to be cold so the ice is hard, and if that means that a season ticket holder has to wear a coat. Um, so be it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to have a good playing surface to put on the best possible product. Right. Whereas a team president would like to make sure that people that pay a lot of money as season ticket holders are as comfortable as possible. I mentioned this on our podcast the other day. Wait, um, you have a podcast? Uh, allegedly. Every mm-hmm. now and then, Greg and I get together, ramble out some non BS nonsense, and then we both go on our merry ways. Um, as a fan, What's more important to you, being comfortable at the game or enjoying a good game? Well, uh, th- aren't those two things a little bit related? Like, aren't you, aren't you going to be comfortable if you're just completely enthralled with the product? Can you, can you enjoy a game of hockey if it means you have to wear a coat? Absolutely. And, and maybe, no, listen, I can. Yeah. I know you can. And a lot of people listening to this podcast yeah. can as well. But I'm talking, I mean, we all know who we're talking about here. The people that pay a lot of money to sit in those very, very close seats that would like to be comfortable. Thank yeah. you very much. Well, if you don't want to be cold, then don't be sitting beside an ice surface. I feel like that's that seems like a good uh, rule of thumb. I agree with you. You and I are on the exact same page about this. <laughs> but isn't that one of the questions you have to ask yourself? Because, I mean, listen, you can make 
regardless of where it is. There's an outdoor rink in Mexico City. Yeah. Okay, like you can you can make ice, and you can probably make really good ice too. There are challenges, of course. There are challenges. June is a challenge. Warm temperatures are a challenge. A lot of people in a building are a challenge. I get all that. Yep. The other thing that that really that really strikes me too is it's 2016. And the technology of the game everywhere has changed. Look how different the skates are. Look how different the sticks are. You know, look how different the boards are. They're now forgiving. Um, look at different the, the the glasses. There is glass. And once upon a time, you know, there was like everything about the game has changed, except the surface it has played on. Mm. And you would have thought that at least by now there would have been some type of movement to change the surface. Right. Like I do, I do wonder at some point down the road whether we really have the conversation about this is going to sound cray, but whatever. You used to you and me and Dimitri talking about this on the podcast. Mm. Will there be a movement to really address the question of should this thing be played on ice? Mm. Is there a technology where you can use skates and play on it and not need a zamboni mm. after twenty minutes? And, and that's the other issue, too. I mean, by the end of every period, regardless of what the ice is, is like and, and where you are, last five minutes, it's always chewy. Yeah. Right? It's a, you're, it's a slushy machine. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. That's a, I mean, I, I don't like the complaining about it because you know it going in. I don't like when I hear players grousing about it. It's always from the losing team. I just, you know, you, you know, you're, you have your expectations. I remember Sackett got blasted for it for commenting on the ice in Dallas in one of those Colorado Dallas series so many, so many years ago. But isn't that kind of the expectation that you go into it knowing that it's June, it's San Jose, this ice isn't going to be fantastic? Right. Like I remember McLean telling me a story once, Doug, when he was with uh, the Florida Panthers, and they were a struggling team. They were a defensive team. They liked a slow game, thank you very much. So every time the Pittsburgh Penguins came to town, you know what Doug did? He had the Zamboni driver dump an extra tank of water on the ice. <laughs> really slow things down. Uh, oh, but a gamesmanship? Totally. Yeah. Totally. 100%. But, but, but the thing is, is like you'd like to ideally see um, these are two of the best teams in the league, and, and some of the, the, the biggest stars in the league are playing in a series, and you'd like to see them sort of do what they do best, and it's kind of a bummer when uh, external factors kind of get in the way of that, but I, I, I agree. I mean, both teams are dealing with the same thing, and it's the, the team that handles it better will obviously, obviously wind up winning. Yeah, I just um, I, I just keep coming back to the idea of get it, make the rinks colder. Sorry. Make the rinks colder and get the game out of June. If we're going to be married to ice the way we are. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, all right. Now, have, have, having said that, if you yeah. get the game out of June, the other thing that I would like to do is see the NHL sponsor a roller hockey league in the summers. If I've, I've blasted off on this podcast yet, <laughs> roller hockey international, where you're at on roller hockey. But I love it. And uh-huh. I'd love to see love to see the nhl do something like that in the off season mm. well okay this summer we'll have a, a whole podcast devoted to roller hockey how about that rhi baby bring yeah, it on it. Roller hockey did you did you ever were you did you ever go to any vancouver voodoo games no remember the vancouver voodoo at all rhi no okay no, no, Gener- no. generation gap just occurred on the pdo cast yes. right right there folks <laughs> at the 41 minute mark <laughs> uh jeff man it was a lot of fun as always and uh i'm sure we'll get you back on before the draft and we'll, we'll kind of you we'll get you on to help us preview it yep sure my pleasure it's always uh it's always a good time i'll talk to you in a couple weeks but absolutely man talk soon the hockey pdo cast with dmitry filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast